0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Colt Cabana, a brilliant comic, but not the sort of comic that you'd imagine. He's a wrestler. He's like a proper pro wrestler. He's a wrestler of 20 plus years, 21, I think, 21 years experience. Um, a professional guy who's wrestled the WWE. He's in the uh, uh, a- the AEW something at the moment. Look, it's not my specialist subject. Um, AEW at the moment, uh, and as well as another one in Japan. But listen, I know him from uh, the world of the Edinburgh Festival, where he has taken part in the wrestling, the wonderful thing that Max and Ivan have created every other year for some time now, and also from his collaborations with people like Brendan Burns and John Hastings and also his comedy experience that's sort of some of his comedy experience in our world but he is truly a renaissance kind of a guy because he sort of operates in so many different spheres he uh does the art of wrestling podcast which is uh I suppose a bedfellow to this podcast in some ways um and he also in his wrestling is very very funny now listen I am the first to admit I'm not an expert in wrestling but I know a thing or maybe even two things about stand-up comedy. And uh, there are numerous parallels. We are going to talk about mentorship and growth. We're going to talk about uh, how sort of persona and character and how he's learned to play his character instinctively in radically different environments to a comedy gig, but not that radically different if you think of them for a moment. Uh, we know, I think that the uh, the worlds the lifestyles of wrestlers and comics are, are similar. stars at the top. Lots and lots of journey person, performers out there uh, trying to make a living from a a sort of sometimes unforgiving circuit and lifestyle. Um, And we are going to talk about Just sort of all sorts of this. There's 15 minutes of extra content available to the insiders because that was really Inside, Inside, Inside Baseball, um, where Colt discusses evolution uh, over a long career and crowd work with a baby and the fakeness or otherwise of UFC. Get that for clickbait. All of that is available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, along with all of the extra content from every episode that has it. But let's stop waffling on and get stuck into this conversation with Colt Cabana. Thanks for coming on. Should I? Am I calling you Colt or am I calling you Scott? And this will maybe open up a case of uh, persona and what all those things mean.
1: Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I get. I would say this, this is a quote-unquote business thing. So, okay. Even though, right, when if I'll see you on the street, I'll tell you to please call me Scott. But I, I really don't want anyone else who doesn't know me as a friend. To okay. call me, I don't want anyone to call me Scott. But I, you know, I'm I'm talking to you, so I'd want you as a friend to call me Scott. But knowing that people are listening. I want them to kind of always, in their head, ha- know me as Colt, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is so this is a really new thing for, for the Comedians Comedian podcast. And I'm very excited about it because it's an interview unlike any other I've done. I will occasionally, the nearest things that it has, <laughs> the nearest things to this, because I was thinking I haven't even really had magicians on this show before. People where there is an element of something mysterious oh, or some other Stuart, element. I love that you have categorized me into magicians. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Here Here's what I've categorized you into. The the episodes most similar to this will be Jinx Monsoon, Fabulous Drag Act, and Randy who is a puppet. <laughs> so, somewhere between drag magician and puppet. Like, of course, you're nothing like these things, but you see the similarity in territory. Like of course, I don't of course. I don't I don't interview people in character. Like Randy I had on the show with Heath, his kind of owner operator. Mm. So, um Well, luckily, and- Mike my- my
1: character is essentially the same thing as my human, so
0: yes, yeah, fine <laughs> but, um my human, and that already <laughs> introduces some big objects about like some some comics will talk, even comics who aren't sort of in character in inverted commas, they'll say, you know, I can't struggle to think of a name, but like the the act will be called Steve, and they'll go, yeah, well, what Steve would do, Stuart mm. Lee, you know he'll talk mm. about the character of Stuart Lee and the choices they make and what have you
1: and bef- so- before we go into it like i've I've wrestled wrestlers who wear a mask and i'll know them let's just say their name is bob and their and their character's name is like ted and they'll be like and then ted runs in and then i go who, i'm like who's Ted? <laughs> okay it's like what are you talking about you're calling yourself your character in a third person to me what is happening
0: yes yes but then you would but you would introduce yourself as cult to those guys so you are would no you... not not necessarily in the, okay. in the
1: back of a locker room or a green room quote unquote i'll always say my real name OK, OK. Gotcha. Because we're, so- I'm not trying to put on a facade of, of fakeness to them. I'm trying to put on a facade of fakeness to the audience.
0: Yes. Understood. And that's interesting. There's something I've spoke- spoken about on the show before, on the podcast before. The types of and in my early life, as we know, I used to be a street performer. There would be certain people who you would see, oh, you walk around in your character the whole time. And uh, we would call them buscarados, you know, sort of people who are like, this is the lifestyle I am. You know, you could I have kind of accused Brendan Burns of this in the past. He doesn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Brendan is someone for whom there's this the stage persona and his actual self. And you go like, does the character of Brendan, are you that same person when you talk to your mother as you are like as you're being now and and what so I think part of this conversation will be kind of a, an examination of the different onion kind of the different layers of what makes you you
1: and if you want, I don't know if you want to name names I won't name names but and I'm sure we'll get into it is you know I did the wrestling at the Edinburgh fridge many times and in the back You know, I considered that a wrestling show. Kind, you know, it's kind of funny because it's half comedy show, half wrestling show. And I considered that a wrestling show, so I would introduce myself to some of the comedians. And one of the comedians was in (laughs) full—I won't say any names—but they were in full clown makeup, head (laughs) to toe. And I was like, "Oh, hey, I'm Scott," and they were like, "I'm the clown uh, character." know, Like I was like, "Oh, we're in the back, buddy. You don't have to." (laughs) And then I was. And it kind of like it ticked me off a little bit, but I realized like you know, because this is that was my world, but also they were in their world. So yes, I don't hold a grudge, but I'll always remember it. You
0: know, yeah, <laughs> I don't hold a grudge, but I'll always remember it. Nice. So let's let's just kind of introduce you to the the comedy audience who may not know you, but comedy comedy fans who've been to the Edinburgh Festival may know you from Edinburgh. You've been there for years, kind of dipping in in a kind of quite an interesting way. Um, you've done shows with uh, John Hastings and with Brendan Burns. Commentary shows. You've taken part in the wrestling, as have I. And I feel like, in some tiny way, I feel like I am bonded to you as a wrestler in a microscopic way. In the same way that anyone who like got did like a six week stand up course and did five minutes is bonded to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you know, with mm-hmm. a similar kind of uh, 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 micro macro kind of extent. So that's how I know you. Um, you are you're Mr. Big Time Wrestling guy, right? You're Carl Cabana. You've been a you've been a pro wrestler for how long? Uh, I think it, it's over twenty one years now. I started in
1: I started training to be a pro wrestler April of nineteen ninety nine. Okay. And yeah, I mean, there's so many different layers to what what I am, but essentially, yeah, I'm a professional wrestler. I've been traveling all over the world. Uh, I've been doing this f- for a full time living. So I started in 99 and I started while in university. And so when I was done with university, I got a job for two years being a teaching assistant to help, um, you know, to help my uh, my wrestling habit. And then finally, I was able to do wrestling full time. So, you know, essentially since about 2003, I've been doing this full time. And then at the beginning, you know, super on the cheap, just a starving artist style. And uh, again, there's so many different layers, but uh, essentially... As a huge fan of comedy my whole life, I really started implementing comedy into my wrestling. So I think that's why uh, hopefully a lot of your fans will um, have, or, or listeners, you know, will kind of understand me as a performer because I understand the wrestling or I understand the comedy community. So essentially, I do comedy wrestling. And I not, I not only do I consider myself a professional wrestler, but I consider myself a comedian who uses the stage of professional wrestling. Uh, or who uses the ring of professional wrestling as my stage uh there's so many different layers to that but um that's a little bit of my story Uh, a bigger picture of my story was uh uh got signed to the wwe which is i kind of relate it to like saturday night live in
0: america like sure yeah like one of those once you get this you're in
1: yeah like you're this struggling improv comedian and then you know finally lauren comes to your shitty UCB show or whatever it is and then you know he sees you and he plucks you out and you get put on the big stage but then i got fired from the WWE very quickly um and then my story i feel kind of starts from there because what happens is a lot of people just um kind of quit they quit they they i've gotten to the top I, there is no more top and so they stop wrestling but that's kind of when my whole story starts uh, from starting a podcast and to get it really jumping into the the comedy community and the creative uh, community and using the internet and since uh, you know that was in 2009 and since you know the last 10 years essentially have been this huge boom for me uh, the most money I've ever made the most success I've ever made I, you know I was on um, you know stories in the Rolling Stone and Forbes and ESPN and just from saying like I won't let somebody told me I'm not good enough at what I do and kind of doing what I want to do and seeing the wrestling that I want to see and being the wrestler that I wanted to be. And, um, it's kind of forged me into this kind of sweet, fun path of, uh, roaming the world, DIY, doing what I want. And, uh, and now I get to be on the Comcom pod.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is, oh, oh, and that's great. Thank you. That's a, that's a great pot in history. And it's clearly, um, it's, there are so many. There's so many, as you say. We, we'll try to stop saying there's so many layers to this. But um, let's begin with just a couple of words about the parallels between wrestling and comedy from the perspective of having making a career in it. Because you could you could exchange the word wrestling for comedy at so many points through that story. It's something you fall in love with at college. You get doing it. You know. It's like, did it feel like to come right down to the the kind of starting point for you? Because we have to kind of talk about. There's so much we can say about wrestling and comedy, the links between and your career. And also then we've got to get into the real the deep com-com stuff about how it serves you and what preconceptions of yourself do you have that have changed and how you've developed and everything. But um, I suppose to start off with, did you always dream of being a wrestler? Did you always dream of being a comic or a comic wrestler? What were those things when you were a kid? What did any of those things mean to you? What was your kind of big goal as a child? yeah that's that's always fun for me because I did not like in my head,
1: I was going to be this like awesome high flying beautifully gymnastic style professional wrestler <laughs> uh that I learned very quickly that my schlubby Jewish body doesn't allow for such a thing um But I so I wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, I I fell in love with professional wrestling at at a very young age. I think I was either three or four years old. I remember picturing Andre the Giant getting his hair cut Mm -hmm. in a match. My father was a very casual watcher of professional wrestling, so he had it on. I saw it, fell in love. The next day, he had you know the Bears game on, but I was trying to find professional wrestling on television and collecting all the toys. I think in, in junior high, I made the realization that, oh, I could actually probably do this as opposed to just being a fan. Because then,
0: where, when did that revelation come along? What was the moment when you first thought, hang on.
1: So I started getting these things that we call in wrestling dirt sheets. Okay. So it's essentially, it would be like what Vulture is for comedy. I don't know what the UK, oh, Chortle, <laughs> yeah. maybe Chortle. Okay. So imagine Chortle had a newsletter, and maybe they did back in the day, you okay. know, before the internet, and essentially, I found these the Chortle of comedy for wrestling, and it was you know I, I begged my mom for a subscription, it was like two bucks weekly, and they would tell you the inside happenings of professional wrestling, so it wasn't just like um like the people magazines, if that makes sense, it wasn't like a fluff piece. yeah, essentially it was like, here's what's really happening. Um, and they would they would talk about, like, the littler shows, not just the giant arena shows in front of 18,000 people. So they would be like, Memphis drew 200 people on Wednesday, and Chattanooga drew 150 people, and here's the wrestlers. And I would say to myself, like, well, I know I can't be Hulk Hogan, but I could be the guy on a show in Knoxville, Tennessee, in front of 75 people. I can do that. Somebody's got to do that. And so that's kind of when the realization of there's more it's more than this giant arena and bigger than life people there's also kind of an underground world which is kind of fun considering years later i kind of became like the one of the kings of the underground world uh of wrestling not on purpose i was you know once i got in i tried to be the larger than life person but as a 14 year old like again chubby jewish kid from the suburbs I knew that I I would and did not look like Hulk Hogan and never would look like the Macho Man Randy Savage, but I I could look like just some guy on a show. And that was kind of the realization when I started reading those – essentially they were trade – you know, trade, uh, trade mags, if you
0: will. Okay. Okay. Which suddenly makes it all seem much more realistic and you can aim much at, at something that's like, and it's similar, it's similar to comedy. That's kind of, you go, Oh, I remember thinking something similar. Like I don't need to be arena act X. I can just do the thing I love to a small and humble degree. And that'll be me.
1: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of comedians that I hear, they're always like, Oh, I went to an open mic and I was like, Oh, I could, I could do this. This isn't a, th- these people all suck yeah
0: yeah yeah was there a moment like that for you with wrestling did you go and see some bad wrestling and think i could get to that level oh
1: that's not bad but i did go me my my friends and i did go to some independent shows and even though i wasn't trained as a wrestler and they were i still thought it was amazing that they got to be wrestlers and i couldn't be at that point or i wasn't so i did put them on a higher pedestal yeah um but it did there was a realization of like, oh, once I train I'll eventually i I can be on a pedestal as these people, as opposed to you know the big the big show that I would go to like with my dad as a kid or something yeah like. okay
0: and and let's just let's just kind of cover some of the main parallels, certainly in terms of the lifestyle, from what I understand, and this is even pre watching the wrestler, which movie made kind of like that that kind of suddenly you know my wife has an understanding of wrestling due to that movie, you know. So there's sort of lots of different um, levels of, uh, of of understanding for me. But as I understand it, the life of a wrestler who is not in WWE is very similar. So the, there's a circuit, right? So you tour around, you do shows, you have all the same or some of the same concerns about there's just you and your dream and you're getting out on the road and it's punishing and exhausting and the money isn't great, but you keep doing it because you love it. You meet like like like-minded people and maybe like one of the things that just really kills me in comedy is you meet someone you gig with them you get on with them really well and then you just don't happen to see them on the circuit for three years and you're like oh that could have been a closer friendship but it was so you know so brief so
1: but when you see when you go and you see them yeah that person in the in the three years it's like you never Stop seeing that person, though.
0: right? Oh yeah, well, um, sometimes. But then, then there are times when you're like, oh, I didn't really get to, like, I didn't get to bond as much as I wanted to. I just like there's someone I'd get on with, whoop, and they disappeared because they work in Scotland, and you never see them. Yeah, but but just yeah. what what are the kind of the kind of um, brass tacks of the links between a life as a wrestler and a life as a comic? As you understand it, yeah,
1: yeah it's f- kind of funny you say that. I remember listening to a to Never Not Funny Jimmy Pardo's oh, yeah. podcast and hi- and him being like. I drove seven hours to go do basically an open mic, and then drove right back and never thought anything of it. And I related to that so much. A because there's probably he was I'm from Chicago. He was from Chicago. There was probably a million Chicago open mics, but for some reason he was like, I got to do this one in Cleveland. That's six and a half <laughs> hours away or whatever, and never thought of it. And and, and the same way with me is when I started training in Chicago, like we didn't have any contacts in Chicago. Nobody, uh, nobody booked us on shows. So we really started traveling. And by we, I mean, some of the people that I trained with, we just started traveling to whoever would put us on shows. Now, the one big difference between comedy and wrestling is professional wrestling needs needs, you know, a 5,000 pound structure in order to put on a show. Whereas comedy, you know, and this isn't a knock on comedy, but you need not even a stage. You need anything that you can kind of make into a makeshift stage, which is very much easier. So let's say, you know, if you're training, quote unquote, you know, doing open mics and you want, and someone wants to put on a show, they just have to kind of find a local bar, whereas we have to find a venue big enough to put in a wrestling ring. We have to pay for the wrestling mm-hmm. ring, which is, you know, you know, 20 years ago was maybe $350. Now it's a $1,000 rental or whatever, and that's just the start. And so uh, for me, the shows were harder and harder to find locally, and that's why we did. We jumped in the cars, and we, we traveled, you know. Um, when it first... So essentially... I always find it weird and I talk to comedians about this because in wrestling you have to pay to play almost yeah. but it's not it's not even that you you have to learn the secrets of professional wrestling and how to do it safely and there has there has to be a mentorship there has yeah. to be. You know you you pay this person X amount of dollars and they tell you you're doing it right and you're doing it wrong and that's always been nailed into my head whereas in comedy I like you know it's fun to hear the different people talk about comedy classes, and I have taken a stand-up class, um, and I know that it's like kind of frowned upon by the comedians, yeah, and then some people, yeah, so now. right? But it it is like it's not like a hundred percent that's the the correct sure, way to do yeah. it. Everyone kind of says you go to the open mics and you learn on your own, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's just one thing I really find wild that the idea of the mentorship isn't isn't necessarily there in stand up and it's you and in, in order to become a wrestler, you have to have it. And maybe it's not a great mentorship because essentially you're you're paying somebody. And in wrestling, there's a lot of times where these are scams. Yeah. Where people don't teach you the correct way and you don't know because you're
0: kind of going in cold. Because you don't know wrestling, you're hoping someone teaches you I mean, arguably, there is a link there with comedy courses. (laughs) I think that's, you know, maybe not outright scams, but you can be taught by, there are excellent teachers. And I would recommend anyone thinking of, who's listening to this thinking of learning comedy, just ask around. Ask several people for some references on the teacher of your choice. Because you will, you know, there's good and bad. But yeah, absolutely. The idea of a paid mentorship or nothing, like that's the only way in. That must um confine i suppose do you think that kind of limits the 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 artistic growth of of the form because you have to the, the nature of the sh- the the work is that you meet people and you have to know that you understand the same terms i guess yeah but it's it's i think it's how do
1: you know times have changed but i i do think it is the right like security system though yeah if that makes sense where you're only allowed into this brotherhood or sisterhood, quote-unquote, unless you have been correctly trained. And we will, you know, the wrestling community, like, we will spot you if we find someone who has snuck in, you know? Sure, sure. And sometimes, you know, that can go either way. Sometimes somebody will be like, you know, sadly in wrestling, sometimes, you know, physically – um that person will be like kind of exited out of professional wrestling, which is you know something I have not done, but it's kind of almost uh, understood and 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 those are some of the things that I think you know just like in, in in comedy that people are trying to change. I think some people are trying to uh get rid of the idea of physically man handling or woman handling somebody out of the industry. We're trying to get rid of those kind of things sure uh, or the other thing that would happen is that we would we would accept them and be like, you have potential we will help you yes uh if we find you know a, stra- a straggler coming into the wrestling industry who's obviously not trained but trying to um You know facade their way in or whatever it is
0: yes yes yeah that's interesting there's kind of those are links because obviously you need that security because lives are on the line you know if you're and i know so little of the terminology i'm afraid to use any of it in case i name a move that isn't a move i think a moonsault is a thing i think i've seen you do a moonsault um
1: but that's that's like um that's master class stuff you're not doing that the first day (laughs)
0: deep joy to talk to Colt and to talk to Scott when he's not in Colt mode um but he is uh a, he's just a, a tremendously fun person to talk to so enthusiastic and so warm and Sort of respectful and and uh, very generous with his time and his his thoughts and his insights so a lot more on this coming soon 15 minutes of extra stuff available on the insiders a sop really at 15 minutes I almost put the whole episode out uh, on the main feed but I think it's important to throw those insiders a bone because they've so kindly uh, stuck with me and indeed joined. Uh, over the last uh, over the course of the, the pandemic, and even more recently. So, if you are in the insiders, there's a little treat coming your way. How should I tell you? If you're in the Slack workspace, I've already told you about this, but I might also do a mail out once I get all my ducks in a row. We've got a very special little live webinar thing coming up with someone amazing, uh, and that's just that's not going to be an episode. We're going to do a I'm going to do a later episode with that uh, returning comic for everybody uh but the insiders if you're in the insiders club you can participate in uh a kind of almost a webinar where I, I'm just gonna facilitate your your Q's and their A's. Um So uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. So comedianscomedia.com slash insiders if you'd like to be a part of that or get the extra stuff. And look, I'm going to put an advert, I hope, on this, like a sort of uh, a little dynamically inserted ad brought to you by Acast that explains what I'm up to. So I don't want to retread a load of ground. But if you are in a position to... if you. Basically, I'm here to help you out. If you're booking the office Christmas party this year and you're flipping out because you don't know what on earth you're going to do with your remote working staff, simply go to virtualofficeparty.co.uk, virtualofficeparty.co.uk, and you will see what we've been up to with converting the infinite sofa into a set of brilliant, riotous, respectful, funny, tonally bang on hour of comedy chat show with 12 members of the public in the room and two brilliant celebrity celebrity comedian guests. So I've said that i just briefly hit that. If you've had to hear this twice, because it's also got a dynamically inserted advert, I can only apologise, but I'm bloody excited about it. Uh, VirtualOfficeParty.co.uk. That's all of that. Let's get back to Colt Cabana. Let's talk for those people listening. I mean, is kayfabe still a thing? And on what terms can we describe the show to people? Like, I feel I'm 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 slightly in it because I've done a bit of it, so I get it. But I don't know <laughs> if I'm allowed to talk about my understanding of it.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's fun to talk about it on the outside of a show. But I think when we're inside of a show, and I think this is the stuff you'll appreciate, is that we we want to keep k kayfabe alive or the the secret of pro wrestling for the idea of the of fans have bought a ticket and we don't want to. Ex- suppose what we're doing we're trying to um change their reality for two hours or whatever it is so uh, in saying that like what i think what you there's so many different levels of kayfabe but essentially i don't want to wrestle you stewart in a match on the first match and then during the fifth match we're sitting next to each other at the bar where everybody could see us talking to each other sure yeah okay yeah and so so those are kind of like the fun weird you know hidden rules or tricks of wrestling is is keeping kayfabe alive. So I don't want to be wrestling you, and then maybe we met we miss something up during the match, and then I go hey, and I stop the match. You go hey, we're supposed to do this, sure. and then you go oh yeah, because there's an audience there, and they're they want to be they want to be tricked into thinking I hate you, you hate me, sure. I'm trying to win, you're trying to win. So in that sense. That
0: kayfabe will always be alive because that's the show. Yes. Um, it reminds in- me t- tell me if this is tell me if this is a kind of a well-trodden path in in wrestling. But it reminds me of Santa Claus, right? And I say that as someone who's a big fan of Santa Claus. I did an episode with my friend Herbie Treehead, fantastic clown, and there was a Christmas special last year. It was about being Santa and his first year of being Santa. And it's what I love about it, and and, it was, and I say this not in, in any kind of negative way at all, is it is a shared illusion. We all go, it's almost like you watch wrestling, you're watching two guys being Santa and the referees being Santa and everyone in the room is being Santa. And if you stand up and go, hey, there's no such thing as Santa, you're the asshole, right? Because yes. we're all suspending our disbelief. and
1: And the fun part is, you know, I started in the late 90s when we kind of weren't, agreeing that 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 was the reality of it
0: yeah because there was actual secrecy pre-internet there was actual secrecy and actual locked up secrets that you never wanted to share there was no there was no the equivalent of like penn and teller doing the cups (laughs) and balls with see-through cups
1: so it's funny you say that because i think in 1998 there was a show there was a show on nbc called the, the the secrets of magic yeah and there was also a show called the secrets of wrestling oh so they tried, and they, I think it was on NBC, which you know obviously is like a BBC equivalent, whatever BBC mm-hmm. One. But um, you know, and that was the start of like tearing down the walls. But you know, now I would say ninety nine percent of the people at the show know exactly what they're getting into, like one hundred percent. They know we talk in the back. They know um, you know we've mapped out some kind of match. Mm-hmm. But the fun part of it for a lot of people is that is still 99% and there is a 1%. Yeah, And so there's a different kind of fan who loves the idea of knowing that, like, maybe I really do hit the, hate this person and maybe I'm hitting this person a little harder than I should. Sure, And that becomes a show within a show for different yes. fans.
0: Yes, yes. So there are levels by which you can do almost in jokes for a certain type of nerd. No, I don't, I don't mean well, nerd. But I mean, I'm just thinking in comedy terms. You can yes. do the apparent show, and then you can do almost asides, which are only understood by people who really know their comedy.
1: Yes. And that, and so that's a, a lot of what happened with my career is I started to do a lot of um, winking to the fans in matches, um, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Brendan would say to me, a lot of people would say to me is that like I wrestle on basically like using the tropes of wrestling. Yes. And I make I, I make fun with the tropes of wrestling, which is a lot of like you have to know. And if you know, you love it. Yeah. And so that, you know, that was at a time, let's say in 2010, like, like right now, I would say 2020, a lot of wrestling is like tongue in cheek. And we all know what we're going into. So in 2010, when I really started to dive into this weird comedian wrestler act and by comedian wrestler act, I I don't mean like I'm doing, um, you know, uh, I, I'm playing a comedian sure but but I do bits you yeah, know yeah, I, yeah. I I essentially have bits and um and, and that wasn't really happening at the time and even in 10 years there's been a whole thing where a lot of people started doing bits started winking uh it started becoming a lot more tongue-in-cheek and so the wrestling industry has kind of totally changed in a decade but that was something I was playing with very early on and it wasn't How it wasn't, and because when you say there's two, like it wasn't me beating somebody up and saying like, oh my god, this could be real. It was the the total opposite side of the spectrum. It was me, um, you know, uh, making fun of like, uh, you know, a a famous one in the wrestling world is there's a, um, there's a there's an old thing in wrestling where the wrestlers would crisscross. You know, they would go the opposite ways, and so I started playing on that trope a lot, and I would start making. You know, I, essentially, I'd, I'd make different punchlines to that crisscross, which usually just ended with like a clothesline or something. But I started doing silly things within that crisscross, and a lot of people, a lot of you know, wrestling fans remember that crisscross. And now I'm doing different things with that, so it's kind of hitting a lot of different buttons uh, and a lot of nostalgia, but now in like a new era way, at least at the time. And-, and that's still what I like to do with different things. I like to find things that people remember about wrestling and kind of twist them up within the match.
0: Did you have any? peers at the time who were also exploring that idea of comedy of tropes
1: so i don't want to make this a whole plug about something but um i did make a documentary i mean, three documentaries but the third one was about comedy and wrestling and one of the people i did it with was a wrestler named Kikutaro, who is from japan hmm. and i brought him over from japan for this documentary uh and we went on like a road trip and we and, you know in between the road trip we kind of talk about um you know, comedy and wrestling But Kikutaro is someone who was doing this in Japan uh Before I was around And so he is somebody that, like, I would watch tapes of And I would think it was crazy that it was happening But, you know, maybe stereotypically I was like, Japan's crazy That's what they sure, do Sure, yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, okay It's just a different place It would never fly He's just allowed to do that, you know, because Japan
0: Yeah
1: Um <laughs> So I would I would I I've always felt a very kinship to Kikutaro, and a lot of the Japanese wrestlers who would explore that avenue before it was really getting explored in america
0: okay some of the I, I i've had a couple of sources send me like a dossier on your career because i'm i'm you know what i mean i'm unable to have done the normal research that i would do when with a comedian you know i'm like okay i'll watch this special this special i've seen i think some of the things that we're i wanted to ask you about what are the, kind of the funniest bits and then i watched a video of you and toru is it toru yano Yes. And the one where you're trading the DVDs at the top of the match? It was only from last year, I think, or two years ago. Yeah, Yeah, we we
1: did a couple of matches. So, and and Yano would be the person now who I feel uh, akin to. And he's also Japanese. And, you know, and I don't know how you would relate this, and I'm sure you can, is Yano is part of a company called new japan who i also wrestle for when i go to japan who is known as like a very serious wrestling company with very hard-hitting serious wrestlers who are trained in all the martial arts Mm -hmm. and then there's yano who tries to win matches because that is the goal but he is such um you know a clown or he's so funny and it stands out, you know. His comedy is so great because of the um, I don't know what's the word because it's so different, yeah. right? The juxtaposition of everything going on. And if it was a, a promotion of all clowns, it really w- probably wouldn't work. But because it's just him standing alone, it works so well. And yeah, Yano and I, you know, I I, I was all I think I'm the guy in America who was in a in a business. Who was trying to beat everybody up? I was the guy trying to be the guy making everybody laugh, so I was able to stand out for a long time and we I know I was the American version he was the Japanese version, and then you know they kind of blindly put us together to wrestle <laughs> each other and it's so funny it's such a coming up with the, such a funny coming rest. up with the bits and you have to you have to
0: note that i mean we we made that within three hours no this is so this is my next question how long do you get to prepare for a regular match and i know and when there are loads of bits is it that you are both bringing your own ideas for bits are you coming meeting and going we've got three hours i'd love to because it's you and me i'd love to do this this and i've got an idea about this can you do something with it
1: yeah like it, it would be like okay i know you do i know it's like i have uh three or four things that i would like to do I know that there's things that you do, um, and then I would like to put my comedy touch on what you do, and I'm sure you would want to put your comedy touch on what I do. And so if you look at that match, let's say that match was nine minutes long, essentially, in my head, I'm going to think, okay, nine minutes long, we're probably going to want to do four or five bits that are a minute and a half each. Um, which is also important, and you can relate this to stand-up because I do, I do too when I talk to my stand-up friends or even when I go up and do stand-up, Is I don't, and it's a mistake that a lot of wrestlers make is they, they want to die on the vine of a five-minute bit that we know if it does not work, you are stuck in this five <laughs> minutes of nobody caring or laughing yes. or or being committed to sure. it. So I, I never want to make um, you know my wrestling bits too long because I know if it dies in the first ten seconds, then we're stuck in it. So, so for Yano and I, we let's say we have four or five things that we figure out we want to do. We place it, we put it, we, we kind of come up with those ideas, and then we also come up with transitions mm-hmm. because they have to transition correctly. <laughs> you know, we can't just go from one to the other. We have to tell this story uh, of why you know how it goes from the other, and then we also put it in um, planning of uh, you know of our set essentially. Mm-hmm. So we want to build, we want, you know, what's the, obviously the, the pin will be the crescendo, but we want to, you know, what's stronger than the, the other, you know, where would this fit? Why will this fit here? Well, the first thing we do help tell a story within the third bit that we do. Yes. Because if we put the third bit, you know, in front of the first bit, then that wouldn't make any
0: sense. And so that's kind of the
1: structuring of the comedy within the rest. And,
0: of and it. status comes into that as well, doesn't it? Because like he gets the DVD out, then you get your own DVD and then everyone in the crowd is going trade 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 you trade dvds and i th- i think i saw one of the comments under that youtube video which is it referred specifically to that moment it said the audience this is one of the biggest audience pops i've ever seen <laughs> and it's like you know it's not a wrestling move it's it's a narrative move and then so
1: within that so within that set i'll, I'll use it in your terms within that set um also, there was improv in that, too, because uh, I think he went and then sold his DVD. Yeah, yeah, he sold it in the crowd. <laughs> and then I gave mine to a kid yeah. for, for free. And that was um, all of that essentially was just uh, us improving. But it's kind of fun because we had never worked together before, but we both know our characters yes. so well. And we also know wrestling so well that we both were able to have the confidence in each other and not even think about it. You know, like it's gotten to the point in my career that I didn't even think about it. I just knew this was the right thing to do. And he knew whatever he was doing was the right thing to do. So um, there was nothing, there was no nervousness in my head to be like, don't deviate, don't deviate. Um, We are both professionals enough to know, like, of course deviate as much as possible. And I always, when I train seminars, I always say, and i don't know if i'm sure there's a term for this and i'd like to hear what you call it but i always call it a gift you know it, um if there's a if there's a woman in the crowd uh, if there's an old grandma waving a bag that's a gift yeah, you sure. have to go acknowledge that gift you can't ignore it's a gift you can't ignore it you have to go play with it you ha- you know if there's uh you know whatever it might be you have to play with it you can't stay right on your um path of what your spots are because you know, the world is telling you, use this, do something with it. And the good wrestlers, they do. And that's part of, like, learning to be a great wrestler is, you know, in the in the back when we train, it's like, here's how you call a match. But it's so hard to train to be like, you have to feel your instincts and do whatever you want also because it's a show and the fans don't know what your set is. And and you it's an interactive experience. You have to interact.
0: That's incredible. I What what I love about that is it does, because there is an element of improvisation, it does mean that when you watch a wrestling match, like I didn't know those bits, you know, the selling the DVD, the thing with the kid were improvised. I think back to the first time I saw the wrestling at Edinburgh, which was the second year. Um, and I remember Patrick Monahan running into the crowd and the blob chasing him and, uh, and then he he ran up the he ran up the rake and the blob chased him and he looked genuinely angry and i was like oh come on it can't be real but it's so real and then patrick ran into the center of the crowd halfway up the middle rake blob chases him and then patrick escapes by crowd surfing down the audience which blob can't do cuz he's too big and i thought yeah. that that's everything about that i love and presumably it's i love not knowing now how much of that was improvised how much of it was a loose plan how much of it you know that, that's so exciting i guess it's like when two improv comics you know in like improviser like you know long form improv people meet from other sides of the world and just meet at like an improvathon or something and just immediately start doing it that must be really satisfying does that ever Presumably, there are times when that doesn't work. I mean, I'm often on bills with people who I think, I don't love what this guy's doing. I don't love how this MC is... I remember years ago, I was brought on by someone who got the crowd whipped up into a frenzy and then told them all how great I was and then went, oh, oh sorry, and made a big show of like getting a piece of paper out of his pocket to remember my name as like a slam on a young comic. Are there, are there those yeah. kind of things?
1: Yeah. Uh, the first thing, when you say that, will will remind... Like there's also different rules of wrestling. So like if you're a let's say you're a wrestling manager, I'm sure you okay, like yeah. you know there's the big guys and there's the manager. So in wrestling like we'll teach, hey, as a manager, you're always going to be afraid of the wrestler cuz you're this puny manager. Yeah. And so there's sometimes where a manager where you, you me as a good guy will come over to the manager and be like, you know, if I get my hands on you, I'm going to I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And then sometimes these managers who maybe aren't trained or have the ego of like I'm the toughest biggest they almost step forward to you. Ah, okay, <laughs> then you're in quite a difficult position. Such a difficult position, right? And so then you're then I mean, essentially it's it's thinking on your feet. It's what do you do? You know, if you're like I said before, you know, if you're of this old guard, you would probably punch that manager as hard as you possibly could, and then you know it it stops becoming fun wrestling in the back, and it starts becoming kind of sad because people will take liberties. And then this person will get punched in the face. But honestly, like the police can't be called because it was within the context of this fake fight, you know. So if I punch you, if you're the manager and you're like, you know, Colt, you suck. And then I step up to you and you're like, no, you suck. And I'm like, well, I have to punch him. And then I punch you as hard as I can, which if we did that outside of a pub would be uh, you'd be I'd be arrested. Now I can 100 percent do it. You know, I'm sure if you really want to go to court and really like dissect into it but i still think i would probably um, yeah. get
0: off on it it would you be know? very hard to prove that you'd done anything wrong <laughs> like your defense of right. like hey we're wrestling that's the thing yeah okay yeah. so there's that understanding between everyone and presumably people get i mean i've done a very very small amount of brazilian jiu-jitsu where some people are kind of really enjoying the sport game aspect of it and some people are meatheads who want to twist your head off it's funny because i it, When doing The Fringe,
1: I was in Glasgow and I came into this kind of situation where uh, I I was wrestling in Glasgow. You know, when I would do The Fringe, sometimes I would take the train to Glasgow and do a show and then run back and do my show. So this happened. This is one of the the only times that I specifically remember because I was wrestling this really young guy. And he wasn't trying to take liberties with me, but he kind of wasn't listening. And as the veteran and as the youngster, he was he was trying to kind of do his own thing. And then he started getting really like feisty with me and eventually he started what we called kind of shooting on me like he tried to he started trying to do takedowns and just call his own thing and you know essentially i grabbed him in a choke um he tried to get out he was totally locked in and i i whispered in his ear i said we can do this fake or we can do this real what would you like to do and he goes fake i'm sorry i'm sorry and then we just did the rest of our planned match and then i had like a dad you know, abusive, not abusive, like, I, I scolded him like a father, like how disappointed I was in him afterwards. So yeah. it's so weird because we're still, if that happens, we're still putting on a show. But, you know, so when, and I, I don't want to make this whole thing like liberty taking. <laughs> I'm so sorry that this has, came out this way. But it's very interesting that, like, you know, there's this there's this real fight that's still kind of a fake fight within a fake yeah. fight. That people are trying to perceive as a real fight.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, of course, and the parallels in comedy as well, particularly in comedy double acts, that there is the 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 opportunity there for things to go wrong. Relationships between comics and MCs, relations, you know, moments when people kind of shake your hand and then whisper something to you as the stage. <laughs> you know, and then the relationship with the audience as well. Do you think I wonder if the fact that it's all out there makes it generally a more healthy environment than comedy whereas people don't very often step up to each other in comedy words aren't i mean in in my experience people make jokes about each other either to each other's faces or more often behind their backs and it kind of there's sort of i suppose i i don't encounter it much but i'm aware that there is the potential for kind of resentment like long-term resentment i wonder if because you're picking each other and slamming each other around whether that's a way to kind of you know, if you can actually, I mean, I, there are comics I can think of. I'd love to have gotten a headlock and had the skills to go, do you want to do this real or fake? They surrender, and then it's dealt with.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, i will it's, it's weird. I guess I'll always hold a little bit of a grudge against this person. Um, sure. You know, but I don't know if they came to me and they were like, this was five years ago, I've grown up, I've realized my faults. You know, I'd probably uh, appreciate that and I could move on. But I haven't heard from the person, so... Um, it is what it is
0: are there limitations to being a comedy or a comic wrestler do you because uh, i think of the comic wrestlers and i i can't think of many famous names like the main guy is the comic wrestler always kind of a second or third fiddle to the the star
1: so here's kind of what i say and i think you'll appreciate this too is i have a, a wonderful base of professional wrestling i was trained in it you know that's what i I mean, that's what I've been doing, but I was like a regular wrestler guy for probably the first five or six years of my career, maybe five years of my career. So I have that handle. I can do that. My natural instinct is just the, the thing I want to do is the comedy. So essentially, if I was, you know, our show in our circuit, um, at least, you know, now I'm on television. It's kind of a whole different aspect. But for the past, let's say, you know, I signed in February for the past 18 or 19 years before that. I would go from little show to little show, and so like in Cleveland, AIW has a, a, a you know a team of like local wrestlers. In Chicago, AAW has local wrestlers. In Boston, uh, Beyond Wrestling has local wrestlers, and then they kind of bring people in like their quote unquote headliners. Those are the fly ins, and so I would go from little show to little show. And if there was no storylines within the whole arc of me, Colt Cabana, essentially it was just a one off, right? <laughs> and if if it's just a one off, I I would just do what I would want to do, which is have fun in the ring, make people laugh, make people. That's how I always thought people would remember me as a performer. They would leave the show and they'd say to their friend, what did we remember? Well, we remembered the funny guy because he was good and funny. So uh, that's essentially my role as the comedy wrestler, but in the storyline arc of something bigger, that's when you can become, that's when there's different aspects and, and, and that's where I'm a little versatile in my, you know, let's say in my acting, if you will, like almost, you know, if if I could relate it to and I won't relate it to like Jim Carrey in the sense of, uh, you know, I'm J- the Jim Carrey of the wrestling. <laughs> room. But if we think about we think about Jim Carrey, and we only think of the mask or the silly guy in Ace Ventura. And then we see, um, you know, the Truman show mm-hmm. or, you know, the other one, whatever the other ones that he did that were amazing. Sure. We see this range of, of comedy. But we know he's a comedian. But now we can see him as a Grammy winner or Oscar winner. What would it be? I don't know. Sure, uh, I imagine. I, yeah, the winner of the the acting awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how that's how I would kind of be perceived as. Where if you give me a one off, I would be a comedy wrestler. But if you, if you want, if and a great story with me is that the mean ma- the the mean bad pro wrestler will be like, I hate Cole Cabana. He never takes this serious and then he would beat me up and this is kind of like teaching you how a storyline would happen in wrestling is I don't want him to make everyone laugh I will beat him up and then maybe I do get beaten up to a bloody pulp and now it's not fun and games for me anymore now the crowd has seen me bloody and now I'm starting to reassess my career and my life and there's a vignette of me going you know this was always you know fun and games when no one has ever done this to me and I'm uh, a little you know now this is where everything starts getting you know you don't think I can wrestle you think I'm just fun and games well I'm going to come after you and I'm going to show you and now I'm getting revenge on this person and now the people see a different side of me and you know they're they want me not only to win but they want me to beat this wrestler up because what have they what they've done to me so now we start telling different stories within the ring and within the genre of wrestling
0: I think that's so I'm really fascinated by those stories because I the, the disagreements I have with my wife over what movie we should watch for me it's often, no, sorry for her she'll want to watch something which kind of has cathartic emotion the running joke is she'll always want to watch a movie where a young boy has his bike stolen and gets kicked down the stairs and it's French and that's it you know. whereas what I need is plot, I like heists I like time travel movies because I love plot, I want to see that thing that um, uh, David Mamet refers to, the playwright David Mamet talks about drama has to be, no but yes, but yeah. no, but yes, like that, and that's that's wrestling all over, right? It's, I mean, it, it sometimes might feel like it's it's broadly or sometimes crudely drawn, but it's it's sort of inescapable in its ability to gather someone up and pull them into the story. You can be and, sitting there going, "I well, I mean, come on, this isn't really. I'm a, I'm an adult. This isn't my thing. And then two minutes later, you're like, "Oh, you know." So
1: we have a term called, you know, when we get taught wrestling, it's called wrestling psychology. Okay. And, you know, I'm sure there's something for comedy, but it is that ups and downs of, you know, how do we bring them up to bring them down? To bring them up to bring them down. That is like a thing we are we are told when we are young, but you do not learn it until you have lived it. You know, like I can kind of tell you the psychology, but you have to do a thousand matches to be like, oh, within the moment of just the naturally and, and the great comics do it. And, you know, I've, I, I've seen you do it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you might not even know what I'm talking about, but I know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is, 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 how to control and manipulate a crowd. Yeah. And you know, so, right. So for those movies that's up and down, that's essentially what they're, what they're doing. But we also have that skill of, you know, and I could do it with just a series of headlocks and arm bars. And you, you as a fan would have no clue, the same way as a fan of comedy sitting there watching you do comedy, you know, I just think you're, you're just talking, but you have, uh, you know, masterly put those words in sentences and, um, and you know, however you put them in paragraphs to get the most of what you're trying to do. And that's what we've done in wrestling. Also sure, is we have put those moves in, in places to get, to get you to come up, to go down, to come up, to go down, because I know if I do something to get a whoa, you know, I I want that – if that whoa is uh, – like if we're on a scale – let's just say we're on a, a, a number line from 1 to 10 and the 10 is the whoa reaction. If I do the 10 reaction at a thing where I have the the crowd at a 9, that whoa is so close to the 10 yeah, that it's, it's not as fun. Whereas if I'm – if you're over at a scale at a 2, and this isn't a scale of like 1 to 10 how big – but we're on the other side of the spectrum at a two, and I get the 10 reaction. Now I've taken you all the way from two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So that that range of like whoa has changed so much
0: that that's the fun part of wrestling, that's how we've manipulated you. And that, and and so when you're putting a, a show together, when you're putting a match together, you are having conversations about the moves that you want to do and that what you think will work together. But you're also hoping that you see eye to eye on the amount of woe and the amount of the kind of the elastic tension of where the match goes. Yeah. So presumably there are some people you have a match with where... Uh, it works particularly well, and you're like, oh, I love when this happens. Presumably, then there are also moments where you're putting a match together and you're going, We should do this. And they're going, I prefer to do it this way. And you're like, Well, I know best, but I guess I've got to have to. Do you know what I mean? Is there, there that yes, kind of give and
1: take? A hundred percent, of course. And you know, that's part of being a, prof- a professional, is you know, if you're stuck on one way of doing it. I'm going to try – I'm not going to try to get my way of doing it. I'm going to go, okay. But then I'm going to say to myself, well, what is the best – okay, we're doing it your way. I'm going to make sure that – and this is the respect of of the back and forth because you you are essentially traveling from town to town and then becoming a double act, right, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with somebody that you've never met a lot Mm -hmm. of the times. So I'll say, okay, we'll do it your way, but I want to make sure it makes sense in my head also. Yeah, and so we both have to come to that conclusion that we both agree that we think it will work. Even though I'm doing it your way, I want to make sure the little bits and bobs before the big punchline, you know, are we're both on the same page for that. And so it, it doesn't it, it it in the back it be, it becomes a lot of conversation. Like it's not this big tension and arguing of like my way, your way, my way, your way. It's really a it's kind of it almost becomes like a court, if you will. Where uh, I you know I give my version, you give your version, and we kind of like um, as lawyers like are kind of give the best argument to why it would work. Yes, now, okay. A, and if you know if I'm the veteran and I've been doing it you know twenty years, and the person's been doing it five years, I I'll I'll win that argument all day. Yeah. And and as the younger person, they kind of have to respect me, and not just because I've been doing it for so long, That is kind of the unforeseen rule, but essentially it's because. I've lived more lives. I've, I've wrestled more matches. Like I've, you know, through experience, I know this will work. You know, I have, or I have a better percentage knowing that it will work as opposed to the person who hasn't done it as much as me, but when it's on an even playing field and when it's your friend, you know, though, that is, that is when you really make art and it's so fun. Like, you know, Yano would be a good example. Toru Yano is when we are two equals making our art together and, we're talking to each other, we respect each other and we're coming up with bits. And And sometimes we do have some, like there's many times where I've come up with stuff and we'll laugh in the back and then he'll think of something that's way better. And then he, you know, he has to politely say in broken English mm-hmm. because we don't speak the same language, which is another crazy thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you touched on that is that he doesn't speak English, you know, like I don't speak Japanese. So we put together this comedy act in two different languages (laughs) through physical pantomiming and broken English and Japanese. That's
0: the TV show I want to see. Forget the lunch thing. I want to see people (laughs) who don't speak the same language having to – But I want to see the process of putting together the match. And, I, you know, I think the people – I think
1: anyone in the arts who maybe laugh at wrestling, the amount of respect that they would get, at least from me, in seeing me go to Japan and planning – uh, of you know, essentially a ten minute SNL skit, yeah. Uh, and, and planning that in maybe an hour or two hours, something which I'm sure that whoever you know the person in the arts, maybe with their with their nose up, thinking this is lowbrow, you know, would take them you know maybe a month to choreograph. You know, we put it to, we put it together, and I, I'm I'm just thinking of a show that I did with Yano. We yeah. you know we did it in front of two thousand people in Japan. Like this was a this was a, a match in front of two thousand people that people would kill to to perform in front of that many people, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you know, that was something that we just got to the building, we put together, we talked in broken English and broken Japanese, and then we performed it. And then we will it will never be seen. That specific performance will never be seen again. Never, ever. It was a one off.
0: The odd question couldn't you get there earlier and have six hours?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can, but we're you gotta remember the next night we're gonna be in Osaka and then the next night we're gonna be in Sapporo. And so we don't want to. We want to be at home. We're good enough at our job that we know it only takes an hour or two hours. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the image for me of the comic, like, putting his fag out on the floor, putting a cigarette yeah. out, stamping on it, and kind of plastering the grin on and going out and doing it. <laughs> like, you know, the the, the ability to, to change between states very quickly. Yeah. I, but I did want to say that, you know,
1: there's bigger shows, like, you know, that, New Japan runs the Tokyo Dome, which is sixty thousand people. Jeez. And the, like the main event or the semi main event or even some of you know, they will plan their match maybe a day before or maybe a week before. Yeah, okay. But it's cool to say that you know the the throwaway show in front of two thousand people. Yeah,
0: yeah, a uh, mere two thousand. <laughs> right. We talked about your superpowers. What are the what are the chinks in your armor? What are the things that you see other people doing and think, I wish I could be better at that? Uh,
1: well, sad, sadly, uh, physical would have to do with something. Uh, you know, okay. I don't know if that, well, maybe that could be related to, but, um, you know, I've never taken steroids and um, I train very hard and I try to eat well, but uh, I, I don't and it will not look like, you know, John Cena or Batista or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So in my line of work, that's very, very important. And, yes and a lot okay. a lot of people are those
0: guys are those guys renowned for their steroid no use no, i'm sorry of... do, please don't <laughs> <laughs> let's clarify exactly what you. those you're are about. two different sentences but i'm just saying sure. my genetic build
1: will never yes. allow me to look like that so people like me who don't have the correct genetic build will sometimes take enhancers to try to look like the part of a professional wrestler gotcha um but you're only working with what you've got I've, i'm we're right i'm working with what i got and what what the promoters maybe will perceive as the superstar someone that we would think you know a belt they would you know the main event right um so that's something that i have struggled with a lot over my career and i've definitely come to grips with um is that i'm gonna look how i'm gonna look and if you know and and luckily a lot of a lot of fans don't care but i think higher people in wrestling do care and so i am you know I'm, i'm not um you know, I'm not on, um, you know, b- bigger. I'm not the main event of a 70,000 seat arena or whatever.
0: Sure. Don't tell me, Colt, that in uh, wrestling, most wrestlers consider themselves to be the invisible man of wrestling, just as in comedy.
1: Oh, I don't know the reference.
0: Oh, no, no, no. Just uh, in, in comedy, people are forever, comics are forever saying, oh, you know, not, uh, it's not that they would use that terminology. Most comics feel like they've been overlooked. Oh, Yes. Yeah, and not in a way that I'm I'm not being I don't mean that in a purgative way. I feel like that. We all feel like yeah. that. You know, there's this sense of like, oh, there's infinite once upon a time the possibilities were infinite in any artistic life. And then as the possibilities close in, the horizons close in, then you might feel like, oh, I I I could have been I could have been that. Well, what what I guess what's fun with me is that of course we all want to be like this
1: bigger thing, but I've I lo- I I love where I'm at and what I'm doing and I and I always have. And like a little bit of me was like I'm I'm a realist in that sense of like a little bit of me is like oh I wish you know oh in this dream scenario this promoter would be like let's make Colt the champion and see if it works but that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's such a, a minuscule you know I realize that that's not going to happen but I've controlled my career especially since that you know firing from WWE I've controlled it so much that I've essentially made it to what I want it to be and what I want it to be is me doing fun stuff and traveling the world. Uh, as my own boss. And I, you know, like I said, I signed a contract with a a promotion called AEW, which I believe is on ITV over um, in the UK. Uh, But it's, it's big, it's big time wrestling now. And so that narrative has changed a little bit, but the promotion was basically was, was founded upon all of these like-minded people like myself who didn't succeed in corporate wrestling and kind of became their own person. So that's kind of ay signed and why why I, why I like it but for years I was controlling my own narrative and I liked my narrative you know I liked traveling I liked being um kind of a road dog if you will uh, I loved selling my own merch I loved just being my own person so uh, a little bit of me was like yeah maybe they'll be like here's 10 million dollars and we want you know you to be the biggest star in wrestling but I knew that wasn't a reality but I remember where I came from and how little I was, and i and I always know that when I started out, there's so many like those, and to where I am now, or let's say you know two years ago, um, that path is so hard to get to, and there's so little amount of spots that not that I'm lucky because I worked my ass off to be there, but i I in the moment, I always remember how fun it is, how great it is that I'm where I am. And even if it's not the top of the show, it's such a great place to be within the wrestling industry. And I'm, I'm, I never forget that. And I always just think like, I never get mad at where I'm at because I always know that if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I'd be working in some office or something that I wouldn't want to be doing. And my dream was to be a wrestler and I'm being a wrestler. So I, I, I'm very grateful. I never take that for granted.
0: Are wrestlers subject to our wrestlers is it as common in wrestling um that the performers have got mental health issues
1: yes but we don't have a stage to realize that we have mental health issues to talk about it so i'm gonna say a lot of it is bottled in and never brought out um but what makes for a good wrestling locker room and essentially like um, much like your podcast, you know, my podcast, which I started 10 years ago was kind of, it came to light a, because podcasting was getting so big and I loved listening to the podcasts, but it was these locker room talks that weren't documented for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I wanted people to know the kind of talks we were having. It wasn't just like, uh, you know, I eat protein, I, body <laughs> <slam> people. <laughs> you know, it was real life talks. And so like I think those are the only places that wrestlers can have those real life talks, but maybe there's, there's not enough, or there's such a machismo in wrestling, uh, bravado from the the wrestlers that, um, you know, I I think in real life that it's hard to, uh, to admit that you have these faults, I guess it'd probably be the same, but I, I think it's a little more amped up because it's such a culture of manliness and bodybuilding Um, And even for, uh, you know, even even for, you know, the women or the nine nine non-binary, you know, I I don't want to make this like a man thing, but like just that overall barbaricness of professional wrestling. um, It's hard. Uh, I I think there's you know, there's a lot of people probably that want to get stuff out that are just too afraid. Uh, and, And again, I think, you know, we're changing that as we should. I don't think it's where it should be. You know, I think hopefully in 40 years but you think about the people now, I'm sure it's still kind yeah. of stuck within.
0: And yeah. and even even in even in comedy which is comparatively unbarbaric or physically less, you know, kind of uh, monolithic. I I mean I I can it's hard. I've got, a, I've got a, a, a close friend who's a performer who is very, very guarded. And I make an effort now of saying, whenever I speak to him, I say, and how are your feelings and your emotions? <laughs> like it's a little running joke. Like here is a space through which you can actually say something real. So it's, what I'm saying is it's hard enough for us, you know, who, who don't need to be going out and being slammed around and, you know, training in that kind of way to actually make a little space to, to say to someone that maybe you don't know that well, hey, are you okay? Yeah, and Is this all right? And you can actually say so, and I'm not going to judge you, and it might be useful.
1: You know what, so I'm going to make a, a, a mental note to... Um, next time at I'm at the show, I'm going to ask uh, a couple people. Good. Yeah, I like that. Are you happy? I'm happy, yeah, of course. <laughs> I love, of course. Why, of course? <laughs> I'm living my dream. Um, I'm living my... I, I mean, there's... I guess there's... Uh I'm I'm pretty self aware, so like there are faults and I, I'd like to think I'm aware of the faults and who knows if I'm working on them correctly, but I know that they're there. Uh but overall uh you know I'm 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 doing exactly what I want to do. Uh I wake up without an alarm except for today, uh because we're Thank in different you time again. zones. <laughs> Thank you again, Chicago. <laughs> uh you know, I've I've paid for everything that I own and I know that I'll be able to be fine once I'm done physically wrestling because of wrestling. And um, there's a sense of pride in that is that, you know, your parents or whoever always say, do whatever you want to do. And I literally did whatever I wanted to do and I'm still doing what I want to do. And like, I didn't, uh, I stayed true to myself and I, I, I don't know, I didn't do, I'm doing what I want to do. And so, you know, that, Whenever there's bad things, and there will be hiccups and bad things in our life. Um, but I can always, you know, look back and just and just say like I, I literally did what I want to do, uh, and I, you know, I, I'm doing it. So that overall arc makes me happy. When there is sad things, the overall arc of um, people saying do what you want to do and live and follow your dreams, which sounds cliche, like I I, I did it and I'm doing it
0: is there before you wrap up thank you such a great answer i've really enjoyed this let's do another one sometime because this is i feel there's so much more to talk about but just to wrap up is there is there something like there's a thing i say to other comics or um uh, newbie comics when i'm trying to Realign my own mental health by realigning someone else's. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? what I'm trying to help myself by helping someone else, it, it reminds me of sensible ways to think. You know, less, less, you know, more useful thinking. Where I sort of a thing I'm fond of saying at the moment is like if I imagine when I'm feeling envious or whatever, negative somehow about comedy, or exhausted, or like I can't hack the travel or what have you. Less of an issue now. Um, uh. But I, I, I sort of think to myself, imagine if there was no comedy. And I alone had um, had realized that you could just walk into a bar, say some funny things you thought of, and they'd give you money. And then you could pay your rent, and you didn't need to have a job. Do you mean like that? And that just kind of it just readjusts me. It just makes me go, "Oh yeah, all of those things. Oh, I'm not on TV as much as I want to be. Oh, I didn't have that opportunity. It just blows them all away. And he goes, "No, no, no. Remember, you're just the same kid you were. And you've you alone. Just imagine you alone know the secret. Are there any? Are there any similar? kind of thought experiments ways of framing your life or your choices to that have you got any kind of like I'm hesitant to use the term life hacks but just like a way of thinking something that you could share with us
1: oh god I mean that was it I think I (laughs) (laughs) I you know I, I I you know when I when I do seminars for students and because I've seen so many of my friends when I was younger, and you were probably the same exact way, is the people that you started out with. There's probably a lot of people who are very famous right now, and you are just like, "Oh, that's just Jim," or "That's just Ted." Like, yeah. that's crazy that he became the famous person that when I was a kid was larger than life. And I always tell kids at seminars like, "You ha- people have to come from somewhere." You know, like these famous people that are main eventing WrestleMania, they have to come from somewhere and you're the ones putting in the work and coming to a seminar, you know, with a guy who's been around the world and learning the job. There's so many people that there's an almost an infinite amount of people that aren't doing that. Hmm. So, you know, so I always I know whatever path you want, I guess, in life seems so far away. Um, But if you just. Put in the work, you know, if you just you go to the seminar and slowly but surely, okay, and then this will lead to my life hack that I do tell everyone is short goals. Is short goals. Um, if you, uh, and and there, uh, if I started out wrestling and I said my goal is to become the, um, on WWF television or WWE television, uh, I will have sadness in my heart knowing that i didn't make it this is for most wrestlers but if you if you set goals for yourself saying um so for me if i said um i want to have a wrestling match and then i'm training to be a wrestler then i have a wrestling match the dopamine and the euphoria euphoria that hits is something that will keep you moving and now you say i want to work and you set a, obtainable goals i want okay And now I've had one match. Now I don't say, okay, now I want to go to WWF. You go, I want to have a match in a different state. And so you keep doing shows in Illinois and Illinois, and then somebody, finally, someone, you know, in six months books you in Indiana. And now you have that euphoria of, like, I have achieved something. So, you know, the achievement of getting to WWF is such a great achievement but you can have that same feeling of achievement by wrestling in indiana or by somebody flying you somewhere or by someone paying you 100 pounds to do a gig you get that achievement and if you keep on moving those little achievements forward and forward and forward you you look at your career it, it could be wrestling it could be comedy it could be in the office you know or whatever you want to do uh, you, you don't look at this long term because if if i told myself this is what i'll be doing in 20 years that seems so far from now but you'll have these little short goals that will make this longer thing um, that will eventually get you to – I don't know if where you want to go, but no one else are doing – no one else will be doing the work that you're doing. So um, I love telling people to set really short and achievable goals and know that you will get a kick of like happiness from each of those little goals.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. So that was Colt. Joyous. Absolutely joyous. And I've uh, I've got a brilliant episode with Martin Moore in the can, a.k.a. Martin Big Pick. That'll be coming out next week. Coming up on the pod soon, Athena Cuglenu. And then Nigel Ung returns. Mere moments after he became stratospherically viral on YouTube and now has several million YouTube subscribers. We're going to have a little retrospective of how the last six months have been absolutely bananas for him. That's recording later this week and coming out soon. So comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for the extra bits from this uh, from this episode and also all of the ones that have extra bits. The Infinite Sofa is on hiatus, not permanently. That's why it's a hiatus and not an end. Whilst I focus all of my energies on getting out these virtual office parties, available from virtualofficeparty.co.uk, me and producer Callum will be bringing you something very special. So if you're in an office and you'd like to know more, that's where you go. Get in touch with me, info at or tweet or Instagram me at comcompod. I reply to everything on email and the other's I reserve the right to simply click like or even occasionally retweet. Um, I'll post Amble at you in just a second, um, but uh, that's sort of that's it. Thanks to Colt Cabana for coming on the show. Thank you to Jake for logging the episode. Thanks to Nathan Wood for editing and uploading the show. And thank you to Robert Smelton for the music, your podcast consultant as ever, Peter Dobbing. I've been Stu Goldsmith. Thanks for listening. And uh, we will be with you next week with more stuff. Oh, thanks to Taylor McLeod as well, who's been doing some fantastic work for me on social media. Thank you, Tails. We love you. So uh, that's the end of the episode, unless you fancy hanging around for the post-amble, which is in just a second. Oh, how many times have I refreshed the Guardian website and CNN and Fox News what a week. Holy shit, what a week. What an incredible thing to see the leaders of the world come together and collectively shun a great big loser. Um, look, I'm not saying Biden is perfect by any means. And uh, as we know, the uh, the Democrats are more akin to the Conservatives than the Labour Party. Uh, there won't necessarily be much radical change under a Biden presidency, um, but maybe it. I mean, thank God, Trump's out of the White House, and or will be soon once he's finished smashing everything up, nicking everything, and loading it on his onto his uh, plane to uh, take a little trip uh, on Air Force One, from which he intends never to return. Mark my words. Um, but not only is he out of the way, that this uh, hopefully that this uh, this paves the way for some very exciting people in the future who could possibly radically change what America is. Wouldn't that be nice? But uh, for me, it's it's basically uh, been, it's manifested itself the last week in um, a mounting sense of, holy shit, Biden's going to do it. This is incredible. Uh, and the most intense period of social media use of my life. I mean, God, my eyes are rectangular from looking at uh, rectangular and in portrait mode. So I look like uh, the dragon toothless from the How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> series. Um, for just constantly refreshing and updating feeds of one sort or another and doing jigsaws whilst having c n n on the background <laughs> that's been great um so I don't have much to say to you apart from that sort of a huge sigh of relief and uh what else is going on? I, I streamed today. We did a we did a, a writer's room stream for The Infinite Sofa, but because that's on pause, we did it as just sort of a coffee morning. If you fancy joining us, what a load of fun that was. Twitch.tv slash Stu Goldsmith uh, and send in your walks. Send in a nice walk that you're on from your perspective. So not with you in it, just so that it looks like we can join you on the walk so that we can, as if it were VR, but flat. Uh, and if you meet anyone on the walk, try and frame them out. If you want to chuck any gags in, please do that. Send your walks, 15 minutes plus, really, to... I mean, I dare you to send me one long enough that I can't stream the whole thing. Um, send that into to info at comedianscomedian.com and then join us at 11 o'clock on a Monday where we all go for a nice walk together. It was so relaxing. Thanks, Matthias, for your walk. We played it. It was only eight minutes long, so we played it three times whilst having a natter. Um, also, coming soon, other stuff with that. But I think I'm having... A sort of not, it doesn't feel like a break, but it certainly feels like a period of focus. That my preoccupation at the moment are twofold. One, what am I if I'm not doing stand up comedy? I'm so lucky. Two weeks ago, the last gig I did before we went back into lockdown, we're in lockdown two currently in the UK, and uh, lockdown two, the rebrand of lockdown that's basically lockdown. And um, I was very lucky that the last two shows I did before it were at uh, the Comedy Box, one of my favourite rooms in the world here in Bristol. At the Hen and Chicken, and I did two 45 minute sets to two different audiences because uh, the booker was uh, Steve was doubling up in order to cope with the halved capacity. Uh, and it was joyous, so joyous. And I feel so lucky that, whilst even now, whilst feeling, Oh, god, what am I? There's not been much stand up in my life, there's been a load of stand up comparatively recently. Very, very lucky. But this point brings me to point two a point, point one slash a. Oh, God, what am I? (laughs) Oh, God, what am I? I'm just sort of hosting things and planning and entrepreneuring and inventing. And those things are great. But I'm simultaneously looking forward to the return of the comedy circuit and scared by it, not just for the travel, but just I'm scared. for. I mean, Pfizer this morning, moments ago, have announced that they've got a 90 percent successful vaccine. Let's hope that all works out and doesn't have terrifying five years down the line, you become a zombie repercussions. No reason to suggest there are those. Um, But... If everything comes back, that's scary as well. I suppose I like a crisis, or at least when there's a crisis, when a crisis is affecting everybody, I feel less wobbly and pathetic like I alone can't cope. So there's that. But also um, the what am I is sort of leading me to reflect on something that Colt says in this very episode, which is about the narrative of one's life. He said just at the end, he talked about the overall arc of his life making him happier in lower moments. And for me, the I my memory is so bad that my emotional recall is so bad moment to moment. Like I've always said this, if I'm happy, suddenly I feel like all I ever am is happy. And if I'm miserable, I feel like, God, everything's always like this. I know that's not unique, but I do think that my memory and lack of like the lack of perspective I have the the lack of temporal perspective, that feeling of it is always going to be like the state in which I currently find myself is to do with memory somehow. The overall arc of my life is very satisfying, I have to say, and it is so hard to remember that, so that's my hey, you know what your yoga with Adrian or your yoga with Sarah Beth or whoever you're yoging with um you uh, they encourage you to leave a, Leave your word. Set a set a, an intention for the day and leave the word in the YouTube comments, which well may have the subsidiary effect of uh, boosting the profile of this video. Who knows? But let's let's log our intentions, guys. Um, and I say that with nothing but respect, certainly for Adrian. <laughs> um, then uh, I suppose the intention that I'm setting now is try to remember the overall arc of your life. So let's all try and do that. Speak to you soon. <laughs>